You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavor of people, culture, and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. In part two of our discussion with Jocelyn, we turn to Hacking Humans. This is where we roll up our sleeves and talk about the shortcuts, hacks, and tips our guests have for understanding real people and culture. Jocelyn, as a, as a strategist jumping between different brands and categories, what would you say are your own hacks or maybe go-to approaches for getting to grips with people, the cultures they're part of, perhaps especially when you're trying to get to grips with a new client or category and you really you know, need to get your head into the space? So yeah, what, what would you say are, are those hacks, if you like? Um, I don't know if this is really a hack. Um, it might be um, it might be common <laughs> sense to some people, but then also a reminder because I started the whole conversation about um, me emphasizing on being human, and this is always my rule of thumb in everything I do. So the hack here really is to be them. Um, I always tell my 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 team to step into people's shoes and live their life a little bit. And then immediately you get a lot of information and you get a sense of how people's lives are really lived, what they're thinking, what's, you know, what they're using, what they're looking at, et cetera. So that's one thing <clears throat> that is um, uh, so easy. As, and at the same time, you get such rich understanding into people again, um, but just by being human and being one of them. And um, I think this is especially relevant to um, a market like China. There's no way you can learn about everything in China through reports and data points and, and uh, you know, reading stuff on your computer. Um, but then by going out there and spending time with people and, uh, you know, understanding what other people are doing in their lives and, and the platform they're using is the best way to learn. Um, so immersing into, into uh, culture is, I guess, a hack. But then, again, I wouldn't really call this a hack because it's actually very basic at the same time. But then we kind of forget about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that was something I was I was listening, um, as, as I mentioned before, to, to a, a strategy podcast. And they were talking about perhaps, you know, there's this sort of sense of hiding behind, you know, pulling pulling comments from social listening or or a convenient data point. But actually, that's that that sort of pure art of just getting out there, observing, you know, immersing. And I guess I'm just curious, like if maybe you could bring to life an example of what, what you mean when you say that. So for those that maybe aren't working in our fields, um, you know, what does that look like for you? Does that have to be like formal research or is that simply, you know, going to places people are and, well, you know, can maybe, maybe you can give an example of what that might look like for you if you're trying to get your head around something. <laughs> um, this example is quite interesting because it's quite, uh, offensive to what you do so the best <laughs> insights that i i have ever gotten um if you know based on a traditional more traditional um research format is when the moderator leaves the room and then mm. authenticity comes in people are actually chit-chatting and then you know those are pieces of gold that we actually get um when the when the conversation is less choreographed and there's no not someone trying to uh, um, talk to them with a hidden agenda. I think when things are natural and in an authentic setting, um, then you see the real behaviors and real lives of people. And then at the same time, um, you talked about, you know, 
looking at social media, doing social listening. What's really missing there are the expressions on people's face um, when they're looking at something, when they're hearing something, when they're interacting with a product. You know, the, the lift in in their eyebrow or that you know kind of frown on, on their face. Um, these are all parts of insights as well. Can we dig in a bit deeper uh, into this uh, dichotomy that y- you've you've been talking about? Yeah, that so having on the one hand the more uh, fundamental, traditional, the you know, for to to some the the truisms of a culture, if you will, on the one hand, and then you have the kind of the more dynamic, what's changing, the trends, the topical stuff, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we know, you know, again, it is a it is a truism how you know how you know fast paced, how how dynamic you know China is. Um, but over the course of your um, career, it's kind of uh, your career has coincided with the explosion of digital, of e-commerce, mobile payments, social. You know, each of these are kind of a meaty topic in in, in its own right. But um, uh, can you talk a little bit more about how you know um, the the way the two kind of you know play with and against each other at times, but perhaps how they found uh, their way into your approach to strategy? What has really changed for you? Um, a lot has changed. <laughs> I I was uh, trained as a more traditional brand planner. So the, the when I first started, uh, the way of doing things was to look at, you know, spend a lot of time, look at deeper human insights, um, things that transcend through time. And then, okay, let's see how that meets um, things that are trending in our lives currently. Um, and then... Um, First is the the way our clients our clients expectations along with the market uh, dynamics in the market and people's lives. I've kind of flipped that around now. Um, it used to be you know the, the approach used to be quite linear and also kind of a top down approach, and then I flipped that around and um, and I find it very useful to really understand you know what's 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 exciting and what's what's um what's topical what's what's trending and then ladder back into a a bigger uh strategy or even a deeper human understanding um i think you know there's a lot of little nuggets of gold when you understand people's behavior um on a more granular level and in different channels different moments of time in their day um and uh and that actually uh, leads into something bigger and and more profound that's very interesting. Uh, so you know, uh, um, being able to um, you, you know discover these nuggets of gold and being able to tap into the the, the richness of that, is this something that you see um, unique to uh, China or even Asian markets in general? Uh, does it apply to some markets more than others, perhaps? I currently, I think it's more um, it's more applicable to. Um, um, being in China and informing strategy in China, simply because um, lives are so fragmented um, and the things that we use are are kind of all over the place. Which your point about Jackson Pollock is pretty much what China is right now. So mm-hmm. it's re- it's really you know going out there and um, to to collect these smaller data points or um, understanding of human behavior and consolidating um, back into a bigger picture. Um, I I say that about China because if you look at Hong Kong as a comparison, our lives are less. I mean, our 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 media landscape is um, a lot smaller in scale and a lot less complicated. Um, there's A B C D things that we use. We have our 
our our TV screens, and then we have Facebook, and then we have Instagram, and then we have one or two food recommendation platforms. That's about it. Um, so it's a lot less fragmented, and uh, people are um, quite unified that way. But maybe eventually, um, when other markets um, pick up on various forms of technology and expand on um, different uh, content platforms, um, maybe. Um, that would be a change in other markets as well, eventually. Okay. Um, we understand that um, in your next uh, career step, uh, you uh, would be moving to a, to a media agency. Now, um, we'd like to understand what's pulling you in that, um, in that direction. Is this something to do with uh, this uh, shift in your, in your attention from, uh, you know, uh, top down to to a bottom up approach. Do do you see the media agency as a more suitable place for you to engage in that sort of uh, uh, approach to strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's related to to the previous question actually. So because China is so platform and content, even performance driven, um, it is now a great time to shift into an environment where there are experts in these areas and to um, then help drive creativity in these environments. Um, at the same time, because I, 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 I believe in learning new things until I'm on my deathbed. So this is also a great learning opportunity for myself as well. Um, why I kind of actually, you know, I've thought about this, making this move for a long time, but then why I actually did it is because um in a creative agency, yes, we are aware of the different platforms, but then we don't have the the resources to actually bring our ideas to life, even though we are aware of the market landscape and the, and the different technologies and platforms. So media agencies have the resources, the connections, the network to actually do it. Um, so therefore, the, the, the tiny detour in, in my career. Interesting. So um, we spoke about the evolution of the agency, the evolution of the model. Um, you're also talking about um, the evolution of the uh, practitioner, if you will. Um, this bottom-up approach, um, do you see as something that, say, someone who's starting out as a junior planner, uh, is this the kind of craft they need to learn? Do you think someone, you know, who's just at the beginning of their career would be able to, you know, consolidate all the small pieces into a, into a big comp- comprehensive picture? I would say so. Um, I think um, small pieces um, are always useful, but then um, in in the aspect of a bottom-up approach, approach um, recently I was introduced to the idea of media creativity. So some form of media behavior actually is so insightful that it informs the creative approach for the entire task at hand. Um, I think it's it's useful to um, for someone who's just starting to learn things both ways. There's the classical approach of things, which is um, prevalent through time. It's always applicable. And um, at the same time, the classical approach always entail a bit more of the upstream thinking as well, which in current day, we, we kind of sometimes neglect, um, you know, thinking about the client's business because that all starts with the broader picture of things. 
Um, and um, at the same time, it's important to balance that out with more downstream thinking, which is then, you know, the smaller stuff in people's lives and um, the more granular details and, um, you know, how do you leverage these as opportunities to get their attention and drive creativity. I just have a build on this, Jocelyn, going going back to something you mentioned at the beginning of our discussion where you say you have this great, um, you know, as a, as a person, you try to be close to clients and be a partner. And does the bottom up approach lend itself to building stronger client relations because of the sort of sense of of the connection to you know being always on the, the client data or perhaps other sources of data and such? Does it feel like it's you're, you're more therefore part of kind of one one force versus say a top-down approach just curious if that has a different impact yes um yes and no that's such a difficult question to answer i say yeah. yes and no because um the clients want a lot of stuff um they want mm. immediate success they also want a longer term kind of glory in their career so why i say yes and no yes because the bottom up bottom up approach is immediate is fast um it's uh, it's it's in in older world language, you could say it's a little bit more tactical. Um, so it gets it helps them get their job done today and um, and and look good um, in their organization. However, um, the no bit is that what I have been trying to do is to remind them of longer term brand building as well. When I say the shift of from top down to bottom up, it doesn't mean I don't care about top down anymore, but then it's finding the right occasions to bring it in. Um, we used to drive a top down because we felt like building a brand is more important than immediacy. Um, it's now flipped around because um, you know doing something, um, getting short term gains and wins, um, then leads to a, a longer term brand brand building um, goal. Um, so that part is something that I remind my clients of a lot of times, uh, whenever I can, basically, because it's so easy to um, fall into and be addicted to the short-term excitement um, in things and then forget about the longer-term agenda um, because that's always important to, to businesses. I still am a firm believer of the relationship between a good brand and business results. Mm. Okay, that brings us very nicely to some other forms of, of maybe short-term excitement. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest trends in China in recent years has been the rise of brand mega collaborations, uh, or I think brand mm -hmm. IP you, you referred to as when we spoke before, Jocelyn. Now, this is especially, I think, targeted often at the younger end of the market, what we might loosely call Gen Z or maybe younger millennials. And it's the confluence of a whole bunch of trends related to national pride, the cult of online influencers, <laughs> Um, you know, this strong appetite for nostalgia, but also hype and novelty and, you know, something limited and exclusive. So we know, we know, Jocelyn, you've, you've, you're coming up against this a lot and you have some interesting views on this phenomenon, if you like. So can you tell us more about your sort of experience on, on brand collabs and how you feel about this, this approach for brands? Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, my view is probably not as positive as you'd like. Um, <laughs> my view is um, I think people are still trying to find the right way to, to, to use these as a real opportunities. Um, and um, again, I try to help people um, find a better way instead of 
mix and matching things that totally completely do not make any sense. Um, you know, you see chocolate bars and shoes and, and French fry, lingerie, etc., um, which completely makes no sense. And it's against human cognition of things. Um, and um, something that I would remind my own team of is the matching of uh, the, the different brands and the product attributes. You know, there's fundamental things we can do through strategy to um, make this um, a viable opportunity. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had too many opportunities that um, to, to work on a great brand collaboration yet. Um, so far, I have been tasked on a lot of things that, to me, don't make a lot of sense. Um, however, um, looking in the market, um, there, there's there been more and more um, success cases. I, um, I am a huge fan of um, um, a uh, local company called um uh, perfect diary so it's a skincare cosmetic brand and they've made they've made their success through through different um uh ways so it's their business model um and then also engaging with to your point gen z and millennials through these different collaborations and what i really like about what they do they've consistently um done what I just said, you know, the brand matching exercise. Your brand is a lot about being artistic and there's this very strong um, local flavor to the brand because it is a local brand. Um, so these are the two attributes that they consistently leverage and, and anchor into, even when they're collaborating with uh, other brands and entities. So they've done stuff like um, a collaboration with the Mets. So because it's, it's artsy, um, and there's a sense of discovery. Um, they've done a lot around uh, what we call guo chao. So it's China cool. There's <laughs> mm. this trend about China cool. So they've done a lot of stuff around that, collaborating with uh, Forbidden City, local artists, etc. Um, and it goes into their packaging, limited edition products, and then obviously social media content. Um, I hope that I will come across um, opportunities like that in the future. And um, I, I do think it's it's an interesting way of marketing, but then it needs to be done right. Otherwise, it's just, you know, a split second of attention. You might get some, you might get some criticism and some, you know, people applauding for your bravery for doing that. And then, you know, otherwise it's, you know, money in the ocean. I just remembered Mark uh, Ritson recently wrote something about, um, about collaborations and and the value that uh, uh, different co-branding exercises can uh, you know uh, can deliver to your to your brand um, and and one of the points he was making was about the importance of having some uh, a sort of contrast between the two brands that you're putting together. I think what what we tend to do and maybe it's it's you know it's the data's fault or how we read the data rather is we look for similarities. We look at you know sort of what you know. Um, what the two what two data points have in common? What you know we're looking for a, a similar target group. We're looking for a, for a similar kind of passion point, um, uh, but 
where the value in these exercises is in the differences, in the contrast, you know, adding a different type of, a different uh, sort of equity to the brand or reaching out to a target group that's not been a part of, of, your, of your brand's um, world. Um, what do you think your, your, your top-down approach uh, uh, that, you, that you described, what do you think is, is its role in, in um, you know, looking at these uh, uh, contrasts, assuming, of course, you um, agree with the role of the contrast? Mm -hmm. Our, bo our bottom-up approach. I respect, I respect Sorry, yeah, the bottom-up, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think, okay, I'm going to leave top and bottom <laughs> aside. I do respect <laughs> that perspective, um, the idea of uh, uh, leveraging a completely different category and brand's um, base, you know, the base of their consumers and the basis of, of where they are. <clears throat> um, I, I, I appreciate that thinking, but then I'm also not a fan of facelifts. Um, you know, imagine the cost of the surgeries if I change my face completely and then I have to change it back to what I, I originally looked like. The cost of doing that is so much more than that temporary excitement that it brings in into uh, uh, collaborating with something so, so different than who you are for that momentarily kind of spike of excitement around your brand and then having to go back to a longer term brand building. Um, I just don't see a uh, true um, ROI in that yet. Do you think there is a case to be made for, you know, embracing collaborations for a brand that is, uh, that is really based on collaborations and, you know, and, and bringing in different influences, different elements, say the likes of, you know, uh, street uh, fashion brand Supreme? If you're familiar with, yeah, with, with, I, with the brand, I, yeah, I am. Yes, um, street fashion. I think yes. I, I think fundamentally, I would be more receptive to collaborations that are at least in a similar space, whether from a category perspective, or a need state perspective, or a uh, career industry perspective so for example recently there's a collaboration between intel and starbucks for me i think that's more a more natural fit although they are quite contradictory as well they're very different categories mm. but then from a, a consumer perspective at least these two things kind of um are uh they coexist in in the same time and space in my life um than say running shoes and a chocolate bar i get it <laughs> then to me that's very unnatural yeah because i know i noticed there's there's one brand is it, is it yong yong poo coffee um just on a d2c brand and they uh, reading an article saying they've been involved in more more than 400 collaborations since they were founded in 2014 and what you know what became and what what started as a marketing tactic actually became part of the brand that like, this is a brand which <laughs> purely exists almost through content focused collaborations and, and i wonder whether we'll see you know more of that where you've kind of got these sort of challenger d2c brands where a collaboration is almost a kind of like a um it almost reminds me a little bit of that you know the kind of the trading you're sort of you're gradually leveraging yourself up through these collaborations to the point where you're you're you know you're jumping off the back of these other brands equity to to pull yourself up whether that works if you're already the you know on the other side you've got like kfc um having a collaboration with an insect repellent brand and having an insect <laughs> repellent flavored drink which just seems 
you know, crazy and all sorts of levels, but I guess attention grabbing. But you never know. I mean, I might, I'm even though as we speak, I have a really strong opinion um, around this, but if you um, check in again, maybe in a month or so, I might, my opinion might change um, because you never know. This is what makes this, this market fun. You know, going back to the, the question around fun, um, everything's changing um, and there's no absolute answer to everything. So you always have to stay curious and always have to keep trying and find the best way around things. Um, <clears throat> so maybe, you know, to your point, maybe that works. Maybe that becomes the, the future of marketing in China. Who knows? Fantastic. So I think that's enough uh, humans hacked. So let's close Let's close the lids on uh, part two of our discussion. Stay with us for part three, Brand Burns. Mm-hmm.